I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today, I'm here with Susie Sevier and Michael Barnhart. Uh, Susie and Michael are the founders of the Adventurous Real Estate Investors, and they specialize on return on impact. Um, they are currently living in Cambridge, England, but investing in the United States. Uh, Michael's active duty Air Force and getting his PhD at the University of Cambridge. And Susie's a program manager for a biotech company in Cambridge. So um, Michael and Susie, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Jason. We're really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. So um, what I'd love to do is just kind of let you guys go ahead and tell people your story and, and sort of how you got started, you know, where anything about your background that you'd like to share, and then we'll, we'll dive into it from there. Sounds great. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Um, so, I mean, you covered our backgrounds pretty well, so that's great. And thank you for that. But how we got into real estate investing was all because of COVID-19 and the lockdowns. So during the first lockdown over here, it started March 23rd of 2020. And the government essentially just said like, okay, please leave your workplace and shelter in place for as long as we say so, right? And so we could only leave our house once a day to either like work out, go to the pharmacy or go to the grocery store. And Michael and I don't have a TV. So we just like looked at each other and we're like, okay, well, what are we going to do for the foreseeable future? You know, like, yes, Michael had like his first year report that he had to write. But after that, it was like, what do we do now? <laughs> you know? And so with that, we started a mini book club with each other. And like the first book was the slide edge by Jeff Olson. And in the back of his book, he just has a, a recommended reading list. And so we started off with that. And then one of the books that we got to was multiple streams of income by Robert Allen. And a few chapters in, he starts like writing about real estate investing and Michael like would read the book first and then I would read it second. And when he got to that chapter, he's like, so just skip all the other chapters. This is the one you need to read. This is what we've got to do. <laughs> and, and so I was like, okay, like I'll, let's, I'll read it. And so afterwards he's like, we have to do this. And I just was like, okay, yeah, like, let's do it. You know, there's no reason to say no. Like we have nothing to lose at this point, you know, like, so from there we went into like, all of the research phase, right? Like listening to podcasts, ordering book after book after book, um, just like trying to consume as much information as we could. And then from there, you know, like we found this whole like online space of different forums and different Facebook groups. And then we also discovered the world of like meetups and conferences. And the greatest thing about that is that because they had gone all virtual, we got to meet people like so quickly and from everywhere in the world. And like, even just to make the story short, cause it could go on forever and ever and ever. Like, I guess from there, like as of 
now we have closed on 188 units and in Tulsa, like MSA all the way from over here. And so, I mean, like our journey, yes, there is a lot in between, but like just to preface, like you really can do this from anywhere in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll, I definitely would love to cover some of the in-between, but then, yeah, <laughs> we, we jumped to the, right to the punchline, but I, I, uh, I, and I know that, and that's, that's fantastic. So congratulations to you guys. But I, w- one thing that, that struck me, so before this, no aspirations for real estate investing or anything like that. You were just like, uh, we're bored on COVID. Let's build a real estate empire. yeah I mean like for me I thought like people who owned apartments like complexes were literally millionaires you know as in like the top one percent like not just like the average uh, one million like net worth individuals I thought it was like the top one percent and they owned it all and I was just paying them my rent and so yeah I had no clue no aspirations I had not even owned in house yet so that's even the best part as well yeah Susie's first purchase Real estate purchase was an 88 unit apartment complex. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, yeah, no, I, cause I thought the same thing. I mean, I really thought that when, you know, you drive around, you see these apartment complexes or you live in the apartment complexes that it was like owned by one Uber rich person and that was it. Like it was, that's how apartments, you know, how, how big things got owned, right? It's like some, right. some super rich person owns the office building, some super rich person owns the mall, what it, you know, whatever uh, real estate asset it might be. And yeah, and then you start learning about syndication. And like I said, you dive into the books and the podcasts and the groups and you start learning about all this and find out that no, that's actually not really how it goes. And that, you know, sort of us, us regular people can be a part of it, whether it's on on the GP side or or the LP side. So um, so you you're did your book club you're you're uh kind of going through all that so i guess let's let's go through some of the journey of (laughs) from book club to owning 188 units because i i feel like i know that that's there's a lot that goes into that (laughs) that so maybe what did you start you know sort of what were the next steps once you kind of realized okay here are all the resources to me um what what next did you guys do so the, the, the first thing we did, um, I joined as many Facebook groups as possible, especially like military specific, like real estate investing groups. So one of that, one of those groups is like from military millionaire. So it's like run by David Perret and joined his group. And we're just kind of following along in the background, looking at what people were doing. And I finally got up the courage one day to say, Hey, Susie and I are, you know, in the UK, we're interested in investing in the States. Um, has anybody done this? It was pretty crazy. Right. Um, and so actually somebody responded and actually a lot of people responded uh, and they're like, yeah, I'm investing from overseas. It's totally possible. And one of those persons was a, a guy by the name of Marcus Long. And so we actually set up a call with him and started chatting and he actually increased the amount of, that he was investing once he moved over here, whether that was investing as a limited partner, you know, investing in um, single family homes. And also he was like doing a lot of private lending from over here. So I was like, cool, those are like some great strategies that we can get into. And so with that, he also recommended a uh, real estate investing conference, which is like geared towards veterans as well. It's called Veterans Real Estate Investing and it's hosted by Bill Allen, uh, which happens like every every year now. Um, and so we, and that was live, or excuse me, that was virtual. And so we were able to like attend that virtually from over here. And that conference kind of gave us a wide breadth of knowledge from you know wholesaling, flipping, apartments, storage units, 
um, everything that you can name um, real estate investing, they talked about it there. And so it gave us a really great understanding of all the, all the different mm-hmm. real estate avenues there are. And so then you can really align yourself with like, the personality that you have with what investing real estate investing strategy really aligns with you. So with that, like we also got access to the Q&A session afterwards. So we were able to talk to the speakers one-on-one. And actually one of those speakers uh, that we got to talk to was uh, Whitney, or Whitney Sewell. So he is the uh, principal at LifeBridge Capital. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Michael, you don't have to start with single family. You can start with multifamily. I was like, no, that's crazy, man. That's crazy. No way, man. Uh, but like, look, after like seeing his presentation and seeing what he's done with LifeBridge Capital, I was like, man, this is awesome. Like you can really make a huge impact by investing in, in real estate, you know, like leveraging the power of apartment investing to make an impact. And so like that was, that really resonated with us. However, we did have a false start. So what I call a false start is like, we decided the burst strategy. So buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat strategy was probably the best strategy for us because it was like low risk uh, on our side. And so we decided to pursue that. We set up a long distance investing team in a Midwest city, set everything up, property manager, realtor, um, mm-hmm. contractors had like everything lined up in this specific city. And we actually had two doors under contract uh, as we we're going through, um, you know, getting a loan approved and stuff like that. What ended up happening was a inland hurricane came through the city and took out like 60% of the trees. The, the city was out of power for like five or six weeks. And we were just there with these two properties under contract. Uh, okay, what do we do now? We couldn't get any contractors out there because they didn't care about rehabbing a rental property. They're more concerned with rebuilding the city. Right. And so we kind of took a step back. Uh, those properties actually fell out of escrow. We took a step back and we we're like, man, um, our whole investing strategy for this specific city is like blown out of the water now. Like we can't do anything until like the city rebuilds. Yeah. And so like, man, we spent all that time doing that. Do you want to do that again in another city? And we actually decided at that point to take a step back and look at our five-year goal and our five-year goal is to move into multifamily. And then I thought back to what Whitney, Whitney told me. He's like, you can start with multifamily. And I was like, Let's do it. That was five years old. Let's just pivot directly into multifamily. So at that point, which was August of 2020, we decided to take a hard right into multifamily, which then, you know, we started networking and, you know, switching all of our education to multifamily. And actually, you know, in real estate investing, networking is huge, but in multifamily, it is the lifeblood. Like if you don't have a strong network, you will not be successful in multifamily investing unless you have like stacks of cash you know, and you can just like take down deals by yourself. Right. right. But even then you need like vendors and things like that. So anyways, we, we kind of pivoted towards that and we just went full speed ahead into multifamily, which then ended up landing our, uh, so our first deal, our 88 unit and then our second deal, the hundred unit um, in less than, I guess, whatever August to now is how many more months that is. So, yeah. 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 That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've not met Whitney personally, but I have, uh, seen his work via his podcast and all of that. And I, I actually think that they're, uh, what they're doing at LifeBridge Capital is incredibly inspirational and powerful. And I, I just love the, the, the concept of, you know, the, the, the giving back and all of that. So I think that's, that's a huge part of, uh, of our strategy as well. So I think it, it's, it's a very cool and, and impactful that you've had. And, it, and I, what you bring up about the networking is 100% true. And it's like, you sometimes you get the conversations with the people that are already kind of doing what you want to do. And they say something to you like that. And it's like, okay, okay. Yes. Okay. So if, if this person said that I can do it, then maybe I can, you know, cause it's like, 
you can read all the books, you can listen all you want, but it's sometimes you have some of those limiting beliefs. And, and so shifting your mindset, because I think, and tell me if you agree, like, you know, he said, yes, you can go right to multifamily and yet still you went to single family burrs because probably the same reason almost everybody does is they're like, it's less daunting. It's, it's something, you know, that we think might be like easier to, to take down in the beginning, but realistically, as you mentioned, if you have the right team around you, it's, it's not easier, right? It's multifamily with, with the right team around you might actually be easier. So you tell me a, a little bit about that first deal. How did you, you know, kind of come across that? How, how did it work? Uh, obviously you're, you know, far away, which in, you know, in large commercial real estate, investing from a distance is not unusual, but probably investing from another country is maybe a little bit unusual. And I, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually curious if you, there are roadblocks, even if you're invest, like if I'm in Los Angeles trying to invest in the Southeast, whatever the case may be, there are roadblocks, but I'm curious if there are more roadblocks being in the UK for any reason, but, but tell me about how you got started on that or how you found the first deal. So yeah, I just want to elaborate real quick, uh, going back to the limiting beliefs that we were kind of talking about two seconds ago. It's just when we started running in the circles where everybody like going to network events that multifamily investors were attending, we're like, hang on a second. Like if these people can do it, we can definitely do it. Right. Yeah. So like, we, we saw ourselves as like equals to these other people who are doing it. And we're like, oh, okay. If they can do it, then we can do it. So like, I encourage your listeners, like if you're wanting to do something like get in the circle where those people that you want to do are, are like attending these events and getting in those circles and talking to those people, because you'll find a lot of, a lot of similarities between you and the other people that are doing it. And then you'll have more confidence to move forward with that specific strategy. Yeah. Um, but to talk about the, the first property that we, that we got uh, that we closed on. So yes, there is a lot of things that we need in, in our, in our business. And one of those was a boots on the ground partner, right? We needed somebody because we can't readily fly over um, and see properties whenever, you know, we're underwriting a property or something like that. We needed somebody on the ground who could walk, touch, feel, smell the asset, right? <laughs> and make sure that uh, everything's kosher. And so the smell yeah. is very, very key to right? selecting your Absolutely. assets. Yes. Absolutely. So uh, with that, we decided we were going to, you know, publish or post all over social media and say, hey, we're, we're real estate investors in looking in Tulsa and Oklahoma City. Um, or excuse me, before we, we decided on the market, let me back up a little bit. We were just posting about real estate investing. We're looking into getting into multifamily and stuff like that. And actually one of my co uh, colleagues, classmates from the Air Force Academy reached out and I was like, hey, I'm full-time real estate. He actually ended up being in Oklahoma City. And we're like, cool, Oklahoma City and Tulsa is actually one of the two markets that we're interested in because of the cash flowing aspect that they have. And it's less competition, higher cap rates, things like that. Um, but still a really strong economy and, and population growth, et cetera. So with that, we developed a relationship with him. And, you know, we already knew, I already knew him. I already liked him. We already trusted him. And so we could do everything from over here as far mm -hmm. as like capital raising and underwriting the deals and, and handling everything that needed to be done for closing a property. We just didn't have the ability to be like walk the property for physical due diligence and stuff like yeah. that. And so that was huge, which then led us to those markets, which then led us to talking to brokers in those areas. And I don't know if Susie, when you take it from here, talk a little bit more about how we found the deal and stuff like that. So 
Yeah, I can absolutely do that. So like even just finding the deal itself, like for the brokers, what we did was like, we made a resume, essentially like a whole entire cover sheet. And like on it, we had our background and because there was no real estate on it, we just focused on the business background. And really, if you look at any part of like your background, a lot of us think like, oh, I'm not qualified, you know, but you are like, you just have to pull like what you want people to see about you. You know what I mean? So like, even for example, this parallel for me actually just happened like a month ago, but like my undergrad was in anthropology and communication studies. And a lot of people would think like that has nothing to do with real estate, but I took those courses because I love people. And to me, that has everything to do with real estate investing. Right. So like, because in a multifamily syndication, you have to have a team, like I can focus on investor relations because I love people, you know, like when it comes to the business plan and what the residents need and want, like I can cover that. Like when it comes to talking to the property management company about what events I, they want to put on and like what we're doing for the residents and how like maintenance requests, how those are trickling down and how fast we're getting them done again, all has to do with people. So it's phenomenal. Like you just really have to think about why you did the things that you wanted to do to begin with, because you can probably find how they fit in real estate investing. But so that's what our whole entire, like, I guess, resume to the brokers were. But then with that too, we had said that we had already been talking to a lender and we already had a property management company chosen, which was great in itself because then the broker sees that you are truly serious about getting into that. And so like just the brokers that we had met and the deal flow that we were getting, um, we would underwrite it. And the thing is, is that if we did not like the deal, we would respond back and say why we didn't like the deal. So like there was constant communication. It wasn't just one way of, oh, I'm only going to talk to you when you have something good for me. No, it was like back and forth. And then we would like converse with them. Like there was one individual who's huge into like football or so soccer and because we live over here and like, that was a great place right. to connect. And so Michael would just talk to him about soccer and like, so all of that, like is really what contributed to us getting the deal. And so then like, once we had a lot of our team set up, like when we went to submit an LOI for the particular one that we closed on in February, like the broker knew we were serious, but the broker could look at our team and say like, oh, like I know other individuals on that team, I know they are capable of closing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's actually a good point there. So uh, you built that team. It was, was the two of you and someone was boots on the ground. Um, did you have other people on your team? You guys are part of the GOB network, right? Is that, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I, I think I knew that. And so, um, I know there's, you know, there's a lot that goes into it with lending and things like that. So um, maybe talk about some of those other, you know, hurdles that you had to overcome to get to get that deal closed. Yes, yeah, so another thing too is because we were going and showing up constantly to these networking events, we actually ended up meeting, uh, getting an introduction to somebody who was actually investing in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, who's an experienced operator who had multiple properties in in that market, and I started chatting with him, and. We had a great conversation. They really hit it off. And then we continued to talk and follow up with each other like once a week, you know, via email. And and then he realized that, you know, Michael's continually showing up over and over and over again and really is interested in this. And it's like not, because a lot of people, like there's a peak of interest at the very beginning. Right. And then you kind of lose sight of it because you get upset because you're not finding deals and stuff like that. And so a lot of people just end up disappearing. 
like I, I don't know how many people we've known like see or how many people that we've seen come and go but like I was constantly showing up day after day after day like and Susie and I both you know up to these networking events and stuff like that so anyways this guy you know, noticed that in us and you know after several weeks and after a month or whatever of chatting he's like hey let's have a standing meeting and I'll look over your underwriting you know you can ask me any questions that you want and so we started meeting like every Saturday and just chatting um and from that like he became our mentor right like which was huge for us like for our confidence because he could look over my own my underwriting and say hey you know this is correct this is not correct this is you know maybe adjust it here or whatever um th- these you know rent increases might be a little more aggressive or not enough not enough aggressive things like that like he could look over all that stuff and really give us confidence and then with that confidence we were able to to move forward um, and really uh, portray that confidence to our investors as well when we're pitching the deal to them. But with that, like he also had like a Rolodex, of course, of like all these vendors in the area, like local lenders, uh, insurance, um, title, like all the things you need to close, right? So like he just opened up his Rolodex, like, what do you need, you know? And so really helped us out with that. Um, so that was, that was definitely huge. So my advice is to find either an organic mentor in the market that you're interested in looking in or finding a coach or mentor a paid mentorship or whatever because it's just going to accelerate you know the your growth right um and in a lot of people will get mentors or coaches that are like they're living in florida um the person who you know who wants to invest is living in washington state that person wants to like invest in Texas where the person, their coach is living in Florida, but investing in the Carolinas, right? So like, yes, they can look at a deal and say, okay, these numbers work, but they don't know that specific submarket, right? Because yeah. they don't invest in that specific area, right? So like a lot of people make that misstep of, of hiring a coach or a mentor that is actually not very familiar with the market they want to invest in. So I would highly suggest either finding an organic mentor in your market or finding, paying for an organic or paying for a mentor in the market that you're interested in, because that's just going to accelerate your growth and ensure that you're confident um, and don't miss anything on the underwriting going in, especially for the specific markets and submarkets. Yeah, and even just to add like a hurdle that we kind of had was that like for your first deal, you have no idea how much capital you can actually raise. <laughs> and so like we went to a real estate conference and the speaker had said like, hopefully 10% of your lists invest. And with that, we just figured out the numbers of what we thought we needed. So with that, we were beginning to do 20 to 25 calls a week because we had no idea or or our list was way too low. I mean, I guess to just start there, right? Like we didn't have enough people on it. And that's a lot of time to put in like 20 to 25 calls a week. Depend, it doesn't like matter if you're in a W-2, if you're not in a W-2 or traditional nine to five, whatever verbiage you'd like to use. I mean, like, cause if you are right, you still have to do it at night, which is exactly what we were doing. Or we had to do up on the weekends or we were doing it really early in the morning, just because we didn't want to get ourselves in a situation where we submitted an LOI, got accepted. You know, we executed the purchase and sale agreement, and then we just couldn't raise the capital. That's embarrassing. And then brokers aren't going to want to bring deals to you anymore. So I guess yeah. I wouldn't say that it's, it's, it was a hurdle, but it's definitely an extra step that you, some people don't think about, you know, because there's this horrible saying out there, which I completely dislike. That is, if you have a deal, the money will come. That is not true. It will come if you know, like 4,000 billionaires, which we don't know, (laughs) you know? And so just understanding that you need to start raising capital before you have a deal. And the way to do that is just by like, 
consistent touch points, really. Are you putting out video, you, like YouTube videos, I guess, essentially about what you're learning about real estate investing? Are you making blog posts? Are you going on podcasts? Because that's how you show people that you are also investing your time, right? If you want them to invest their money with you, you have to show how you are investing like your time and everything into these deals. Because yeah. if they don't know how you're doing it, they aren't going to guess. They're just going to think you're not doing it. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you have you have to put the work in, and it, it's those. Uh, I, I would say, I mean, from my view, capital raising is maybe the hardest part of this in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I think that saying, I agree, that saying's terrible because it makes new investors think that it's going to be easy, and it's it's not going to. It's going to be easy once you've done four, five, six deals. Right, it's going to be easy once you have a long investor database and they, you have a track record and things like that. I, I mean, you know, you hear about people all the time that are are experienced operators and they're like, I don't even, you know, they're, they're uh, fundraising, their capital raising, the subscriptions fill up like in a couple of days. They're like, oh, we raised ten million dollars in two days, and it's like yeah. that must be nice, but that definitely doesn't happen. I don't care how good the deal is, that doesn't happen right away because when it comes right down to it right? When you're presenting these deals, it's all numbers on paper. Mm -hmm. So you can know in your head and in your heart that this is a great deal, but you've got to portray that to someone else. And, and their probably first in instinct is to think, well, why should I believe you? Right? Mm -hmm. you've, you've done this no times or you've done this one time, right? So it's kind of like, I, I, I agree. It's, it's kind of a terrible, there's a few terrible sayings I, <laughs> I think in, <laughs> in the real estate world that, that, take away some of the perspective of it it's like if you have a deal the money will come or you don't need money to invest in real estate it's like someone needs to have money to invest in real yeah. estate it maybe doesn't have to be in your pocket but you need to find the someone who does so I think it's um that's a really great point and you know kind of uh, ex thank you for sort of explaining that it was 20 to 25 calls every week because it is it's it's a lot of work you know getting yeah. on getting on and talking to people and especially if you don't have that network of people that are used to investing in real estate, right? So every call is like, let me start, start by telling you what syndication is, right? Like, mm -hmm. let, let me start by even explaining the definition of that word. Cause most people don't, don't know. I, I you know, at least not, <laughs> not in the world that I live in. Right. I think there's people, you know, if you're, if you were, do have, you know, a hundred billionaires in your Rolodex, well, then it's kind of, it, it's probably easier, but yeah, I think that's a great point. So you uh, kind of formed all that, and then did the did that transaction go pretty smoothly for you guys as far as getting to close on that first deal? Um, it 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 did. Um, so I, I do want to say something real quick that you had mentioned as well. Like and Susie had mentioned it about uh, you know raising the capital and making sure that people understand that you have the knowledge and stuff like that, right? So like Susie had mentioned putting out content, either being on podcast, starting your own podcast putting out YouTube videos or writing blog posts, right? So the great thing about having all that content out there as well is like when you're chatting with investors, like when you're saying, hey, these, these are new investors who, have, who don't really know about syndications or real estate investing at all. The great thing about having all this content is like you don't have to have all that, you know, all, that entire conversation with them. You can answer questions, but you can also point them, hey, read this article I wrote here or listen to yeah. this podcast here or you know, watch this YouTube video, they'll answer some of your questions, right? So that's a great thing about putting out content is you can just direct people to that content and then it, it frees up some of your time. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so getting that deal under contract, um, the seller was, um, it was definitely a challenge. Like any, any real estate transaction, I feel is a roller coaster, right? It's like a lot of things all at once and then nothing. And then a lot of things all at once and then nothing all the way till closing. It's a very roller coaster, uh, emotionally roller coaster uh, ride as well. Um, two things that we learned from that. So when you're raising capital or two big things um, that I want to share with your listeners here is uh, we learned when we're raising capital, when we do the uh, the investor webinar. So see, we talk about the deal and stuff like that. That investor webinar, we actually did like Thursday night, you know, and we had that, we were raising 1.75 million. We had the investor call or the webinar Thursday night, that night, the next day, whatever, we had a million dollars raised, but then it, it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it was, guess what people are doing on Friday, Saturday, Sunday not worrying about your deal, right? Even though it's the most important thing to you this moment, everybody else is worrying about the weekend, right? And hanging out with their family or their friends and not thinking about investing in real estate, right? So um, that was one learning experience for us. Um, so there was like crickets that entire weekend. And we were like, oh my God, we, we didn't even like sleep for several days, maybe even a week. But then like later on the next week, it started trickling and as people started reviewing it again, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then start funding. Um, so it did take us like, you know, two weeks to raise that 1.75. But um, at first, you know, Susie and I are like, oh my God, the money's not coming. How are we going to raise this money? We have to find $750,000 because we, uh, anyways, yeah. like small freakouts. We didn't sleep, things like that. So now we know going forward, like, luckily our mentor was like, relax, yeah. this happens. Just, just calm down. We should have spoke to him sooner, but we had slept, not slept for like several days before that. Um, the other thing too is if, the property that you're purchasing, if the seller is vertically integrated, meaning that they have their own property management company as well, make sure that you verify income multiple different ways. So that's something that we learned uh, on this property as well. So it's very easy for a seller, if they are vertically integrated, to fudge the numbers um, on what income they're, they're, uh, that they're reporting. So, okay. Yeah. yeah, no, that, that's a good piece of advice. Um, so, okay. So that, that deal closes, everything's good. You're real estate investors. And then I would guess that the transition onto the second deal was probably easier the second time around, right? You're, you're kind of, uh, you have all the systems in place and you know, the brokers, you have the relationships, you have a property management company, all of that. So especially if you're sticking in the same market, the, the second one piece of cake? It was a lot easier. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we knew all the vendors and everything like that. Um, the, the challenge was the lending piece uh, because it was mm -hmm. a tertiary market. However, um, I've, I was doing, you know, my doing hard work to build relationships with local banks and things like that. Uh, we knew we didn't want to. So our first deal was agency debt. We got Freddie, uh, Freddie Mac, uh, small balance loan on that one. But on this deal, um, we actually ended up going with a local bank uh, just because we can get higher leverage. And so just, I was calling every single bank possible. And I, I probably had a conversation with at least a dozen or so, like I had multiple banks underwrite it and take a look at it, stuff like that, um, which ended up yeah, being great. We ended up getting like a significant amount of leverage on it, um, which is actually very beneficial. We had to raise less capital then, right? So. Yeah. Well, and then even to add, for the first one, you have no idea what's actually going to happen. So the second one, you're kind of expecting it, you know, oh, 
I'll have 14,000 pieces of paper I have to sign in review. Oh, I get calls whenever somebody needs me, you know, or, oh, an investor on the deal wants to talk. I'm going to have to just talk to them whenever it's convenient for them. And so by that point, nothing is, you're not aware of it, right? I mean, the first time, even because we did like agency debt, I had no clue I was ever going to have to sign that much paperwork. I was like, holy moly, what is happening right now? You know, it is endless. Yeah. But paperwork is now a breeze. You know, you're just not as worried about some of it. And so that's why it also goes easier as well. And you can just talk about the struggles that you had in meetups or in conferences or with other real estate investors. And then they can like, help you with your blind spots or help you like with that creative thinking and be like, Oh, you could do that next time. But until you actually do it, you can't really have those conversations because you don't know what potential problems you will have. Yeah. And just to add to that, Jason was, since I have a background in program management, I am very like list in like detail oriented as far as like, Hey, if I've done something, I look back at what I've done and then I create a checklist or like a process, a system and, and put that in place. So next time I do it, it's easier and I don't have to think about it, right? You can dump all that out of my mind, put it into a checklist or whatever. So that comes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, Jason, was that, you know, what what's different for us being overseas? And we have like really bulletproofed our, or trying to bulletproof our systems and processes from over here. And so after closing on that first deal, we went through over 750 emails, okay? Email by email. And we wrote down everything. We took an entire weekend, two full days, like write down every single thing that we did, closing from pre-LOI all the way through property takeover. And so we wrote all that down. And now that is all in a checklist. So we know pre-LOI, LOI, during LOI negotiation, pre-PSA, during PSA, like, all the way through physical due diligence, uh, digital due diligence, like everything all the way through the end. And now we have a system for each one of those processes. And um, yeah, and so like that has, that was also, that is what also made the second deal a lot easier because now I just had that uploaded in in Asana. So Asana is a project management software that's available online, like monday.com or whatever. But we use Asana and I just upload all that into Asana. And now we know, okay, here's where we're at in the process. Have we done this, this, and this? And then also people on our team, I can assign all those to those individual people. Um, and so that we can remember what's coming up. And so we don't have to you know, think about, oh, we didn't reassign the PSA to the new company that's taking title of the property, like things like that. And we're scrambling the last minute before, yeah. you know, before closing. So we can get that done ahead of time. So in addition to that, like we have to make sure that all of our systems and processes are bulletproof from living overseas because we can't just hop and go down and see our, our property whenever we want. Um, also, our end goal, our why, right? Uh, at the you know one, a part of our why is to be able to do this from anywhere in the world. We want to travel the world and leverage real estate to do so um, is one one part of our why. And so, doing it from the UK, we're kind of proving that system and making sure that it is tight and is bulletproof before we go and we are in Thailand or Australia or Japan or wherever we wanna live, we can do this from anywhere in the world. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's fantastic. I mean, I think that was probably very tedious to go through 750 emails, but it will make what, yeah, what your point really shows that like doing that will then make everything, yes, that's not a fun process, but like now 
you have that system in place. And so now every time you can just use that again. So it's not like you don't have to go through the 750 emails each time. And, and like you said, you don't have to have a surprise. Oh, here's this thing that happens. Oh yeah, that happened last time. I forgot about it. You know, that kind of thing. It's just, there's so much going on to keep it, you know, organized like that, I think is, is a great idea. And then, yeah, being able to just, it's such a digital world, being able to do it from anywhere is, is, you know, kind of the goal for, for most of us, I think, is it's like we get into real estate, so we don't have to be tied down to, you know, a desk or, you know, one specific place. It lets you, it lets you, you know, kind of get out there and be, you know, experience the world. Absolutely. Have you been to Oklahoma yet? <laughs> no. I've, I've, I've been to Oklahoma. I have, we have not seen our properties though. So. I've never okay. been. Yeah. Yeah. I've just seen yeah. a lot of photos we're, now. We are going, we are going in October. Um, because we're going back to the States and then we're going to visit, you know, have a, have a day at each property. Nice. So. Nice. So what are you doing for, are, are you guys asset managing? Is your boots on the ground person doing that? How are you handling that since you're, uh, I, I, again, I mean, you, you have a third part property management company, so it's more of managing the manager, but, but what, how is that working for you and your team? Absolutely. So I'm a little bit, I guess, of both, right? So we specifically chose our property management company because they are aligned with our values and our goals. And so we know that when we explain our vision to them, like they will also carry that out. But like I'm going into full-time into real estate in two months. And so with that, I will handle majority of the asset management because realistically, if a fire happens, it doesn't matter if I live next door to the asset, I'm still going to call the fire department. You know, like even in that right. aspect, I'm not, I'm not going to be the one handling it, but we also use our project management tool. So Asana with our property management companies. So everything is all in one space, right? If, if, say our regional or on site has a question, she can post it in there, we get a notification and we can just talk right back. That's all you really need. And we aren't going after super distressed assets at all. So we don't have to go there and look at the construction management and say like, oh, this isn't right. That's not what you were supposed to do. Like we're doing value add. So we have to make sure the budget stays in place. We have to make sure that property management company is getting multiple bids, but I don't need to live next door in order to do that. And even from what I've been hearing like other syndicators in the space say is that when they do live close, they end up spending more time there than they actually wanted to because of that. And, you know, the whole point of being a business owner is that you want to work on your business and not in your business. And so if I'm managing the managers, like, I mean, micromanaging essentially, like what, what am I doing with that? I'm probably irritating them and I'm irritating myself really. Right. Like I don't want to have to tell someone you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. Like, why did I hire them to begin with then? If, if I'm going to be babysitting, then I would have just like chosen that as a career field, but I'm not, you know, they are qualified in property management. So we are going to trust them and we do so far. And that's like a big thing for us is that we actually won't go into another market until we find a property management company that we can trust. Like, cause I hear that often as well. People are just going into markets and haven't chosen a property management company. I don't want to have to deal with that stress if I don't have to, you know, like if you take the time to truly find one that aligns with your goals and what you're doing and your why and all of that, it is so much easier. It's so much less stressful. You know, like 
we want to be able to leave our computer for a week and go somewhere and not worry that everything is going to burn down. That's what every business owner wants, you know, like that's the whole point with Apple. That's the whole point with Tesla. Like these people want to be able to do whatever they want to do. It's called time freedom that majority of us want for a reason. It's not that, oh, we can just do it whenever we want. That's the time freedom. It's like, no, we are able to walk away and we know that everything will be standing as that happens. So that was a really long answer for that question, but I will be asset managing uh, like 90% of it, I guess, starting in August. But right now it's a, like a collective group. We're all on the calls. We're all there listening. We're all there helping answer questions. Cause again, like we are a team and when five of us have a different idea, like we can come up with one great solution together. Yeah. yeah and to add to that, Jason, we just, our huge thing is we don't manage our manager, right? We lead our manager. There's a huge difference between leading and managing, right? And so a lot of people get wrapped up in asset management and then they're trying to manage the manager, like micromanaging, like Susie said, like, no, you got to lead them. Like you have to have a clear vision of the goal, the outcome of the property and quarterly targets you want to hit and then communicating that properly to your property management company and then just holding them accountable for that, right? And a lot of people say, oh, trust, but verify, trust, but verify. I see that everywhere. And I hate that term because it's not, if you absolutely trust somebody, you don't need to verify anything, right? So that it's a complete misnomer of a statement, like trust, but verify. The better verbiage is delegate, then follow up, right? Because if you completely trust somebody, you don't need to verify, right? And then if you need to trust, but verify or whatever, and manage, micromanage your company, it's, or your property management company, it's, it's a failure of leadership on your part because you're not communicating your goals and your vision to your property manager company to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. The trust, but verify it's like, this is kind of a silly analogy, but it's like, I trust my spouse, but I check their phone every once in a while to make sure everything's okay. You know, they're not doing anything, you know, like that's, you, yeah, you don't really trust it. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. That's what I was yeah. thinking that you say that actually, that makes me laugh. I was like, Oh yeah. You know, your spouse goes out and you're like, well, I have to call him 15 times just to verify. For, for right. Verify exactly. Right. Right. Checking their location and things, but it, it's just, <laughs> it, it's like, you know, you know, those people don't actually trust their spouse. Like it doesn't matter that you say that. Right. But so I think those are really great points. And I, and I think it, it brings, it actually, brings a question uh, that I want to ask then. So you, you trust your uh, property manager, you're very happy with, how did you find them? Because it, it is something that people, you hear a lot in the space, right? It's like, oh, property managers don't really care about the property. It's not their property, blah, blah, blah. And okay, there's going to be, there's going to be bad property managers. Mm-hmm. There's bad syndicators. So it's like, there, you know, there are people that are, are good at, the, you know, <laughs> I'm a veterinary surgeon. There are not great veterinary surgeons. Like it, it's just like in every career path, there are people that are better at it than and less good at it. We'll say. So, how did you guys go about founding your property management that that I'm I know that you're you're very happy with? So, how, how did you kind of what was that process? Yeah. So initially, we probably interviewed like four or five, and just came to the realization that this is, this is not going to go well, you know, like there, we kind of liked some, it was like, okay, if we had to make a pros and cons list, what do we do? But then eventually, like after we met our mentor, he's like, oh, you should ask sooner, like check this one out. You know, I've transferred her to all of my properties, you know, I will never go with anybody else ever again. And so I guess essentially it was word of mouth, but that's, we have, (laughs) 
such a problem, like entrepreneurs in general asking for help, but like, it's like a book that I love, right? Who, not how, like you don't need to find your property management management company, like ask people in the space because, and ask the people who are excelling with their property management company, right? Don't ask the people who go into like calls every week saying like, oh, my property management company did this or that, like find someone who's super excited or just ask, you know, because yeah. that's the only way is how you'll find out. Cause you really don't even know which ones are great until you start asking other people, but it ended up being through our mentor. He was just like, here's a really great one. We were like, bingo, we found a winner. <laughs> it does yeah. make it easy. Yeah. It, does. <laughs> it is nice when someone gives you that, you know, sort of firsthand referral and it, and they're, you know, it's, it's like this perfect match. So yeah, that, that's a really great way to do it. But, but yeah, sometimes, I mean, I guess you're not going to have that every time, but that is the better way to do it. Right. To find someone uh, that someone else is already extremely happy with and they're, you know, sort of performing to their expectations. So make, yeah, makes, makes total sense. Um, the, you know, sort of back to the question I, I, I mentioned at the beginning, do you find anything sort of specifically just because you're in the UK versus, and maybe you haven't invested from the United States with <laughs> across the country or anything like that. So maybe you don't have a comparison, but are, are there anything uh, I'm sure time zones may be a little bit of an issue. Um, that's what I find just even being in Los Angeles to look to talking to people on the East coast, the three hour difference sometimes is, is a thing, but, uh, I'd imagine for you guys, that's an even bigger thing. Any, anything else that you come across? So, oh. um, I was just going to, I'll let Susie, um, answer this here. So I was just going to mention a couple of things that, yeah, just to elaborate the time zone thing is definitely an issue. However, that allows us the freedom to work our W2s from you know nine to six or whatever and then we get off at six six o'clock is now noon in our market and then we get the entire next six hours to kind of do whatever we need to do um, in yeah. those six hours um, but the great thing about email as well is like with gmail has like a scheduler right so like i can knock out all my emails that i need to send for you know to certain people in our market and then just like schedule them to go out at like 7 30 or 8 o'clock in the morning in our time in the time zone where our market's at uh, so that that's one of the things that we do um but then it gives us a actually it's an advantage because again it gives us like a little quiet time when nothing's going on and we can actually focus on the business and things like that before right. you know everybody wakes up and starts going in um i guess the other thing too is like it might take a little bit long if we needed to go to our property the, like, the next day um well we have partners on the ground who can actually do that but if we need to do, do that for some reason we would have to it would take a little bit longer to fly but we can still get there within a day or two, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I was just gonna add, is that like, if there's a deadline for the end of business day, then that's where it becomes difficult, right? Because we want to be able to go to bed before midnight or one o'clock in the morning, knowing that like when we wake up, the email or paperwork or whatever that we're supposed to have is in our inbox. So if we were there in the same time zone, we could say like, okay, it's six and it's seven, like, are you going to send it? But no, we have to go to sleep trusting that it'll be there. And we've definitely woken up where it wasn't there. And that's where it was like, oh, I wish I was in, you know, the time zone. Cause then yeah. I could have reached out and said like, hey, no, um, I don't want to ever tell somebody, please go back into the office. So that's not what I'm trying to get at. But you know that we have to have the closing paperwork for our appointment that's in the morning. Like, it's not like we can wait for you to go back in the next day, like if you want to close with the requirements that you have, this is what we need now, not tomorrow when it's 
eight o'clock in the morning your time and 2 p.m. our time because we have then missed our appointment. So just stuff like that, that's where we've noticed that it becomes a little more challenging, but we will just work through it every time to try to mitigate those issues. <laughs> yeah, 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 it, it's, I mean, it's, right, it, you, you figure it out. It's just, you kind of, it's like, even a lot of the people I talk to on the East Coast, so it's like their day ends at three o'clock in the afternoon for me, right? So it's kind of like, but it starts early. So it's like, I know if I want to get on the phone with brokers and things like that, it's like, I, I just, I get up early. So it's you sort of shift your day to whatever time it is that you're, you know, you can, sh you can only shift it to some, <laughs> can't completely yeah. shift it, but yeah, you try to try to do the best you can with it. So um, yeah, that makes total sense. Nothing like from a legal standpoint or anything like that, that you ran into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Um, awesome. Well, there, uh, I have sort of a handful of questions that I would love to throw out there for you and we'll get, I won't keep, keep your whole day, but, um, the obvious, uh, name of the podcast is know your why. So, um, generally, I think we talked a little bit about it, but maybe, maybe dive into what, what is your why, what, what really drives you guys? No, that's a great question. So thank you for asking. So like our huge thing is serving beyond our four walls and then with that, like return on impact. So how can we serve people beyond this? How can we impact them, right? So there are almost 8 billion people on this earth. And so if one person like did that little 1% impact to somebody else, like that ripple, if even half of the 8 billion people did it would be astronomical, right? And so how we want to add to that is because Michael's been an educator and will be again, and I've been a coach and a mentor is that we actually want to go to third world countries and build schools so that we can figure out how to continue educating beyond the traditional four walls of a classroom, right? So that's just huge for us because education in itself, just basic education can solve so many issues in an economy. And that is huge. And granted, we're not just going to build a school everywhere, right? Like we want to be able to go and live in different communities and see where they would be served best in order to have education happen, right? Because I mean, there's a lot that gets goes into it. You can't just build a school and education happens. And so like really for us, it's serving beyond our four walls, right? Like education, we have been like privileged and blessed to be able to have it our entire lives. And we want other people to even just have like the little bit that we have an opportunity to. And just to add to that too, we're not trying to force like Western education on these countries at all. It's like looking, like Susie mentioned, like looking into what the community actually needs and then educating them on the specifics of that community, right? Like, you know, certain trades that are more prevalent in that community, right? So not just a blanket educate Western education system. So right, right. No, I love that. Uh, I think, you know, sort of I love I love that return on impact that, that you guys sort of have as as your, I don't know, if slogan, mantra, whatever <laughs> whatever you want to say. I, I do like that. It's it's a really uh, that's a great idea. I mean, education. I think in the States, we take it for granted, uh, you know, some almost in a way sometimes disparage it, uh, but really, you know, having having access to free education uh, is is not necessarily the norm throughout all of the world. So I think that's that's an awesome way to give back. Um, okay, so this is and I'll, I'll ask you each to do it, but just tell me something about yourselves that that isn't known. So whether that's, 
you know, kind of a hobby, uh, a special skill, a guilty pleasure, whatever it is, something that, uh, you know, isn't out in the world <laughs> as common knowledge? Um, for me, um, I think, I don't know, a lot of people know that I was like a champion archer. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. uh, I was awesome. like internationally ranked uh, for compound archery. So that's not known. I don't think. That's super cool. That's super so, cool, Susie. You know, I, uh, what I'm going to say now <laughs> does not compare to any of that. So just a hobby that I want to take on. I feel so silly saying this now is that I want to learn how to make like the like stinky vegan cheeses. <laughs> so that's like cool. blue cheese, you know, something like that. Like, yes, I think I'm that's not. super cool. I don't like <laughs> cheese, so, so I probably won't, won't want to partake, but I do. Uh, I think that's very cool. Like, I, I think that's, you know, finding those new hobbies is kind of one of the cool, you know, we, we talked a bit about like a lot of this is for time freedom and, or at least time control, right? You're still working yeah. a lot, but at least control over it. But if that means adding in learning how to make vegan cheese, that's super <laughs> cool. Like whatever, you know, whatever new hobby you want to take on, I think that's really neat. Um, how can people reach you? We'll, and we'll put stuff out, whatever you want in the show notes too, but what, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Yeah, the best way to re for everybody to reach us, Jason, is just going to our website, adventurousrei.com forward slash info. And there we just have everything. It's one landing page where we can, you can read more about return on impact. You can find our podcast. You can find our YouTube channel there. Um, and you can also connect with Susie and I on LinkedIn, all on this one page. So Yeah, just because we know that everybody learns and experiences education differently. So we want to give people the option that works best for them. Okay, awesome. Yeah, we'll get we'll get those links in the show notes too. Final question: um, what What advice would you give to people that? I mean, you didn't even start that long ago, so you just kind of dove right in, dove right in, and are killing it. But what advice would you give to people, kind of, you know, that are a little bit behind uh, where you're at in terms of um, trying to achieve your level of success? So I would have to say like educate yourself as much as possible in the beginning, because then you go into meetups and conferences with more self-confidence, right? If you go in, but you have no idea what they're talking about, you might tune out, you might, you might, you will create imposter syndrome in yourself right there. Right. But like just building that education base and really like investing in yourself that way you go in a way more confident and then you stay engaged and you ask more questions. And that, I mean, that was huge for us, right? hundreds of hours of podcast content, but like, I don't know how many books we read. Hundreds. Yeah. There's just on real estate, investing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was just on real estate investing, like just yeah. take the time to educate yourself and you will feel so much better going into the conferences and talking to other people, even about potentially being partners. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great piece of advice. I think my piece of advice would just be realize that a ceiling is a man-made object, right? So you are your own limiting factor. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. All right. Well, Michael and Susie, thank you so much for coming on. This was really great. Uh, I think you, you definitely shared a lot of uh, insight and provided value for listeners. And I'm, I myself am very excited to see how, how this goes. I think uh, you've already got achieved a lot and there's a lot to come. So um, thank you again so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much, Jason. It was so much fun being on the, the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. Excited to be able to share awesome. with your listeners. All right. Well, take care, everyone.